How many of you have made some version of this statement? Here it is. My church is not transparent and it's frustrating. Maybe you would phrase it another way. My church doesn't do community well. My church doesn't open up. It's hard to connect with people. I suspect, I'm going to guess, obviously I don't know, I'm going to guess at 50%, and I'm thinking that's a low number of you all had have said some version of that. And because of that, I want to talk about it in this podcast. One of the more common and, and often accurate complaints about a local church is the lack of openness among the people. This problem is not isolated to merely one church, but a typical struggle for many. And that's why I say it wouldn't surprise me if more than half of the people that listen to this podcast have said some version of that. And so the critical question in this podcast is how do you redemptively respond to a group of folks that you love and meet with weekly so you all can grow into a biblically communicating community? In this podcast, I want to share with you four ideas. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. I am Rick Thomas. You can read everything that I'm going to share with you, and that would be fantastic. Go to episode 224, 224 in the Life Over Coffee series titled, My Church is Not Transparent and It is Frustrating. Now, I want you to know that I have a lot of resources here. In fact, you could do at least a six-month study just using these show notes, and I would encourage that if this topic is of interest to you. I did a podcast several months ago uh, for my friend Chris, who he said, Rick, I had to stop reading your stuff because you produce too much, and I, that was my fault. I didn't communicate well to him. I produce a lot of stuff, but it's not for you to keep up with. And so I told Chris to stop reading my stuff. And I did a podcast titled something like that. If you want to grow, stop reading my stuff. And so pick one thing, settle into it and spend adequate time studying it. That's how you grow. Unfortunately, in our rapid pace, speed of the internet community, uh, we tend to consume content like that, and it is it's in quickly and it's out just as quickly, and we don't retain it. And the adverse side effect is that transformation doesn't happen at all, or it is slower than it could be. And so if this topic is of interest to you, then take these show notes, episode 224, and work through this and and work through it with someone else, and it would be a huge benefit for you. Not only will you have uh, the content of what I'm sharing with you as it is written out for you, but if I counted correctly, I have 17 articles in this podcast. At least 12 of them are at the top of it, all titled for you so that you can read it. I have at least another five embedded in the body of these show notes. And so not just you, you do not you just do not have these show notes, but you have, I think, at least 17 other articles. And that's why I say this could be a six-month assignment. I also have three infographics in the show notes here too. And so you can look at those because they will visually communicate what I am. I'm trying to share with you, and so make sure. In fact, if you're frustrated with your church, I 
I really strongly appeal to you to take advantage of these resources. So I want to give you four ideas to think about. Under this title, My Church is Not Transparent, and it's frustrating. They are in a progressive, logical order. Point number one, guard against self-righteousness. I have yet met the disgruntled church member that was not sinning about the problem they were identifying if it's been a long-standing issue between them and the church. And so I say point number one, you want to guard against self-righteousness, an elevated view, an elevated opinion that looks down on other people. In this case, the issue, the long-standing issue that we're talking about, that I'm talking about, is an ongoing lack of transparency and biblical community within the local church. And I don't mean this unkindly at all, but it's true, self-righteousness, no matter how subtle it is. And I do caveat it by saying I don't mean it unkindly because we live in a culture now that is so far removed from biblical language that when you use biblical language, it can be off-putting to people because they're just not versed in biblical language. But the true issue here and the true temptation Here is self-righteousness. That's the biblical language. And it can be quite subtle to where you don't even recognize it. And besides the reality of either overt or subtle sin, it's always biblical to start problem-solving by addressing the log in your eye. You know this to be true, and it's what Jesus said in Matthew that how can you address the the speck that is in your brother's eye when there's a log in yours? And it doesn't matter what kind of problem solving that you launch into. You have a dust up with a friend, a dust up with uh, inside your marriage, a family member, parent, children, within the church or on the workplace or any other place. If you're going to address that problem biblically, then the first place that you have to be, begin with is in your own eye. And one of the most common sins that we will fall into is this idea of self-righteousness, biblically speaking. So don't be surprised what you will find. And if this community problem has been long-standing, you're probably going to discover multiple heart issues. And so if you, as you stand in front of the mirror and look in your heart, don't be surprised. Most of these issues that you may see will connect with our old, deadly foe, self-righteousness. The self-righteous person does elevate himself above the folks that he is observing. You can kind of picture this by you stepping up onto a chair and looking down on other people. That's the idea. You also read it in Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, quote, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And then he began to list how other men are. And and so we can have that attitude. The heart is self-righteous is what we're talking about, the elevated attitude. But the behavior, how will you know is self-righteous? Well, it's by the behavior because the heart connects to the behavior. And the behavior it will usually be sins of the tongue. In this particular issue of being disgruntled with the local church. And so if you want to identify if you're truly being self-righteous, then look for these patterns that will be on your tongue. Things like grumbling, 
complaining, gossiping, and other forms of corrupting speech. I'm using the language of Ephesians 4.29 here of what Paul said, that our speech should be building up, that it shouldn't corrupt or tear down. And so what you will see is grumbling, complaining, gossiping, and other forms of corrupting speech that communicate, here it is, how you're not like them. And so be careful Now, of course, there are more subtle, evil disruptors of the heart. It could look like impatience as you're impatient with someone. By the way, this applies within your family as well, not just within the local church. It could be smugness. It could be cynicism. Cynicism is a false intimacy where you have pretty much given up and you just stand back with your arms crossed and you're judging them. It could be huffing under the breath. It's a list. And so do not ignore these things. Do not dismiss them by jumping to my next point, which I'm going to get into so you can get some relief here. But do not dismiss this because the Lord, if if these things are true, he will stop you in your sanctification tracks because he has a determined opposition to proud hearts. The title of the podcast, episode 224, My Church is Not Transparent, is frustrating. I want to give you four ideas to consider as you become part of the solution with this problem. Point number one, guard against self-righteousness. Now, here's some helpful questions that will, that will help you. In fact, an excellent remedy is to take Paul's words to heart. You know, Paul, Paul said this. Here they are, practically speaking. He, he asked this question, what have you received that someone did not give you? So how can you be self-righteous? How can you be elevated? I mean, everything that we have received, whatever we have is a gift. And so whatever we don't have, well, that's an insightful query, eh? It doesn't matter who you're frustrated with. The problem is the same. You're doing better than you deserve. And anything more than hell is a perk. And so Paul's asking this question, what have you received that someone did not give you? So everything that you have, well, God gave it to you. And what you don't have, well, okay. I mean, life's a perk because you've been regenerated. Here are a couple questions for you to think about under this idea, point number one of self-righteousness. Is your response to pull away from these people because they are not who you want them to be? If so, you could be taking an anti-gospel approach. At the heart of the gospel is going, engaging, converting. And so if your response is to pull away from these people, well, you may be taking an anti-gospel position, a posture, and so you want to address that. Number two, do you expect someone to learn in six months what took you two decades to grasp and to apply? There can be a temptation for someone who learns a great idea, and now he wants to rally the troops, but the troops aren't interested, and he becomes frustrated. Everyone is not at the same place in their sanctification. You know that, right? And so be sure you're patient with them as you become part of the solution rather than becoming a dissenter. I remember when God first regenerated me and I showed up for Tuesday night soul winning at my independent fundamental Baptist church in North Carolina. It was just me and the pastor. I was dumbfounded 
the church on Sunday morning was a happy place as people, there were amens all around and, and smiley faces and nice suits and dresses and a lot of loud singing and maybe one or two people running up and down the aisle. And so I'm thinking, my goodness, we are going to set the woods on fire on Tuesday night when we go soul winning. And I showed up and, and it was just my pastor. And, and so remember, everybody's at a different place. And it took me, and that's why I say, do you expect someone to learn in six months what took you two decades to grasp and apply? It took me two and a half decades, by the way. The Lord regenerated me when I was 25 years old. And so now I'm at the church soul winning event on Tuesday night, and there's nobody there but the pastor. And it's like, come on, people. And so you want to be careful. Guard your heart from self-righteousness. Point number two, have community in your family. If you are in a relational dynamic already, make sure that you're practicing what you want in that context. For example, if you're married with children, you should have already what you wish the church to become. My point here is for you not to skip over the more vital community. The more vital community is your family. That is the more vital community. Could there be a pattern in your life where you don't have this kind of community anywhere? Some Christians do not have a biblical community in their homes, and they are discontented because the church is not doing it either. You will never have this kind of koinonia in the church if your family is not doing it already. Think about this. The church consists of families. The church is a reflection of families. Sometimes we forget this common sense concept. The church cannot be what the families are not. And so if your family is not doing this already, then being upset with the church is wrongheaded. That's a nice way of saying it. Drop in some biblical language here, it would be hypocritical. If your family is not doing this already, then being upset with the church is hypocritical because you're you're asking the church to be something that it's the families that make them that way. And if your family is not doing that, then you're you're part of the problem. And so the first order of business is to develop what you want in the church, in your marriage, and your family. And then export it to your local church. So point number two is have community in your family. Here are a couple of questions. Are you skipping this critical link in the chain? Here it is. I want the church to be what I don't have in my family. Now, if this is true, do you see how it would be nearly impossible to have what you want in the church because you're not exporting it from your home? Question number two, if you do have this kind of family dynamic, praise God, then let me ask, how are you engaging, envisioning, and equipping your family missionally? to release them into your local church. And so you have this within your family. You have this koinonia, 
community within your family that is interactive and reciprocal and vulnerable and transparent and and humble and honest and communicative, uh, encouraging and edifying and building up and rebuking and, and convicting, and there's just transformation that is happening. So how are you engaging and envisioning and equipping your family missionally? Because now you want to release them, and, and therefore Sunday morning becomes a missional context. Sometimes in a local church, you'll see, I've, I've seen this a few times, where over the church, as you walk out, over the church building rather, as you walk out the church building, you'll see you're now entering the mission field. I don't like that sign, to be honest with you. The mission field is everywhere. It's not when you walk out that building. It's when you walk in that building, too. And when you walk in that church building, you're entering the mission field. Are you entering the mission field missionally, which is the building that contains your local church? And so point number one, make sure that you are you're guarding against any subtle or overt form of self-righteousness, and if it's there, repent. Point number two, have community in your family. Now, if, if you don't have a family or if it's not possible, you have relationships, in some relationship you should be building that. Point number three, build with whosoever will. Now that you have addressed your heart problems and your motivations with the self-righteousness, and you have a relational dynamic that is being modeled in your home, now it's time to enter the mission field, the local church. And you infiltrate the local church. You want to penetrate that local body. And you want to identify whosoever will and begin feeling them out to see if they are great candidates for this type of intimate, interpersonal ministry. Patience while vetting is vital. Remember, everyone is at a different place. Also, you don't know their shaping influences. Perhaps many, and it may be most, honestly, they are casualties of war. They've been hurt in some significant or or long-standing ways that have affected him. Let me give you four ways that a person can become a casualty of war, and it will inhibit them from being open and honest and transparent and vulnerable. You want to make sure you understand your audience and you know the reasons why. We, we don't want to judge them without understanding them. Here are four things that can happen to a person that will inhibit them from being the very thing you want them to be. A father is one. A mean or distant, those are two different things, but they have a similar effect. They build insecurity into their children. A mean dad, that is kind of obvious, that's going to cause a child to, to retreat, to stand down, to close up. And, of course, that can go on for 15 or, or 20 years inside of the home, and imagine a decade and a half of that kind of shaping influence, that person is going to crawl back into the chrysalis and is not going to come out. And, and so that's a damaging shaping influence. A distant father will do the same thing, a similar thing, but it communicates. It, it, it works out differently. A distant father is communicating the same message. A mean father is saying, I don't like you, and a distant father is saying, I don't like you either, but he's doing it differently. He's doing it by not being engaging with the child. And the child eventually just learns. I mean, it's obvious, right? 
He's not spending time with me. Television is more important. His phone's more important. His computer's more important. His work's more important. Whatever it may be, his hobby's more important. That's a devaluing attitude that he's conveying to the child. And it will cause the child to take on this idea, well, obviously I am not valuable, and insecurity begins to build inside of the child. Parents, if their parents, if if the person's parents did not love each other well, they will develop insecurities into the children. Dysfunctional parents, when there's arguing and biting and devouring going on, to use Paul's language in Galatians, uh, when there's that kind of dysfunction, it doesn't have to be overt or over the top, but it's just it's just clear that my my daddy and my mommy don't like each other, and a dad and a mom are the support and secure structures. They are the pillars, the only pillars that the child knows in the most formative time of the child's life, and so parents can can cause a significant damaging shaping influence in a a child or children, and then they grow up insecure, and now they're in the church, and guess what? They're not going to be vulnerable in a day. It's going to take time. And then, of course, abuse. And so we have fathers, mean or distant. We have parents talking about the marriage, dysfunctional. Abuse, life experience is abusive to varying degrees for all of us. And so that is a big bucket thing that can fit uh, all kinds of issues that can happen. And then the fourth inhibitor would be church culture. Some churches, quite frankly, do not emphasize this kind of interpersonal relating. And so you want to, I, I say, build with whosoever will, but you want to be careful and you want to vet uh, these people and you want to understand them because everybody's not at the same place. And you need to also, as you're doing this, remember your circles of relationships. All your relationships land somewhere and none of them land in the same spot. Let me illustrate. Jesus had three inside friends. These were his most intimate friends, Peter, James, and John. But then he had nine others, the other disciples, and they were outside of this most innermost circle. And then outside of the other nine, there was Mary, Martha, and friends. And, of course, there were the multitudes that were further out, and then lastly, there were the unregenerate, the Pharisees and, and other folks who did not know the Lord. And so we all have relationship circles, and you need to understand this. In fact, I have an infographic here in these show notes. It would be helpful for you to look at that. And so let me ask you some questions under this point. Build with whosoever will. Are you inviting people into your home to vet them? Now, some folks would play the judgmental card right here. But that would be silly and immature. If you don't discern every person you meet, you may find yourself in some horrible places. And that's why I ask, are you inviting people in your home to, to vet them? This vetting idea should not be odd to you. If you are a parent, it's not odd to you. You can let your kid hang out with anybody that you want to. We were somewhere traveling this past year in 2019, I don't remember, it may have been the Kennedy Space Center, but there was this big room. And this woman told the, a couple of like five and six-year-old kids, she just yelled at them and she said, uh, stay in this room and do not leave. And then she left the room. And I'm, I'm talking about there are hundreds upon hundreds, more than a thousand people at the Space Center. I mean, maybe 5,000 people. And there were lots of them in this room. And I'm thinking, my, my children were standing there and they just looked at me like their mouths dropped. 
popped open like, seriously, did I just hear that? No, you want to vet people, and that should not be odd. You're not judging them. I'm not talking about that. You're discerning them so you know how to help them while determining where they fit within your relational struggles. Do you want a toxic person as a daily companion, as a Peter, James, and John? Though you could be wrong in your assessments, and I do understand that, but that's why you would hold your assessments loosely. But minimally, you want to have them. And so are you inviting people into your home and getting to know them so that you can discern them to see where they fit within your relationship circle? As you determine who is what and how, how will you help them mature? As you assess people, how, now how are you going to help them according to where they are, not according to where you want them to be? And so what is your plan? You won't be able to be everything to everyone all the time, but you must have a way of assessing and, and helping while not exhausting yourself. This is episode 224. My church is not transparent and it's frustrating. Point number one, guard against self-righteousness. Point number two, have community in your family. Point number three, build with whosoever will. And then finally, point number four, minister where you can. Some churches are harder than others to build the kind of community that we talk about within this ministry and the resources that we communicate. In fact, if you want to see a picture of how, we, uh, how I define quantania, I have a, a, the third infographic here in, this, in these show notes that you can look at that will lay that out for you. Perhaps you will find that it is, it is more of a 20-year plan than a 12-month one. Because some churches are, again, quite hard, they're harder to build that kind of community. And if it takes longer, okay, it should not hinder your ministering to others regardless of where that ministering happens. And, and the church culture may never be what you hope it to be, but this is where you want to be careful. You don't want to be that employee who believes the employer should run the business according to your preferences. If the employer is not breaking the law and there isn't anything glaringly wrong with what he is doing, it's his business to run, not yours. And churches are the same. Hebrews thirteen seventeen talks about permitting the pastors to pastor you with joy, not with groaning. And, and so the question that you ask here is whether or not you are a joy for your pastor to pastor you. And the way that you can do this is by asking a couple of folks who have direct oversight and care of you. Perhaps it's your small group leader. Maybe it's the lead pastor or another pastor, but someone who knows you and, and has some kind of spiritual oversight over you. You go to that person and ask them, are you a joy to pastor? Point number uh, four, minister where you can. Here are a couple of questions for you to think about. What did those folks say to you when you asked them if you you were a joy to pastor? Now, of course, you have to do it first, but there's a question waiting for you after you have that kind of relational opportunity with one or two of your leaders. What did they say when you asked them if you were a joy to pastor? Number two, are you a disrupting influence in your church or a redemptive one? How do you know? Maybe if you ask that question, you will find out about being a joy. And then number three, how do your efforts cooperate with the leadership of the church? 
Now, this question is revealing if the church is is revealing if the church is not meeting your expectations regarding this aspect of community. How are you making a positive difference? Now, that's it. Those are my four points. I want to have a brief caveat here about whether staying in the church or not, because ultimately that that question, I've had that question. I had it yesterday, as a matter of fact. A friend of mine sent me an email and said, I'm thinking about leaving the church. What are your thoughts about that? And I get that question quite regularly, this issue that I'm addressing here in this podcast. I get it often as well. I had it twice. had that one twice yesterday. I had the community question twice, and I had the church leaving question once. That's just one day. And so there could be other things wrong with your church, not just a lack of community. And thus, you may want to leave to find another church. I don't know. Or you may want to leave even though this is the only issue you have with the church, that this is the only thing that's wrong with it from your perspective, and you may want to leave. But if you do choose to find another church, be sure your reasons are valid and that you leave well. And I have articles here about how to leave your church well. And so if you make that decision, or if you're if you're thinking about making that decision, then I want to give you these are in fact the person who asked me yesterday that they were leave or planning on leaving the church, the articles that I've listed at the top of this podcast is what I sent to them in episode two hundred and twenty-four. And so I just copied those emails from that uh, these articles from that email and I've pasted them here for you. Now, we've gone through this ourselves as we have come to the place that we couldn't be of any redemptive influence uh, within the church, and there were a whole host of things that was wrong with it. We've left, and so it's not wrong to leave, but make sure that your reasons are valid and so that you can find a place, whether it's here or there, where you can serve. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, episode 224. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.